Hello and welcome to Hugenhoff Podcast, episode 82. Today I have Lauren with me. Lauren, how are you doing? I'm doing just fine, sir. And how are you? Oh, I'm great. And my internet seems to be cooperating. We're having no connection troubles yet. Cross my fingers. Um, before we jump into it, I want to go over the regular beginning stuff. If you want to check out my website, please feel free to do that. It is at hugenhoff.org. That's H-U-G-I-N-H-O-F.org. There you can find the podcast under the podcast tab. You can also send email to hugenhoffpodcast at gmail.com. I think there's actually a send email link. So if you had any questions or ideas for a show topic, please send them my way. You can also subscribe to the RSS, which I would suggest. And also in the show notes, you can find a link to Lore's book. Lore, tell them about your book. Which Books. one? I have several. I was going to say, you got to make it plural. Yeah, um, I do. So yeah, I have the Outsiders trilogy, which is just three books about uh, aliens coming to Earth and wanting our dead. So that's interesting. Uh, but the latest book that I have published so far is the Walk-On book about... Uh, strange time travel so there's that enjoy yes and that is all on amazon so look for stephen oaks walk on or the outsiders series and you'll find it thank you you also have a poem book a year of poems uh something horizon a year of poem or year of poems or year of poetry i don't know it's been a few years since i put that one out yeah i it's not a big seller i I like it so i always i always like mentioning it okay well thank you sir Anyway, that's another one. I also have a book on Amazon, and it's called Lightbringer by Byron Rogers. So it's about stuff. You can you can read that if you feel like it. Uh, I am a great salesman, by the way. Anyway, um, <laughs> that's enough plugging our stuff. I'm going to have something next month probably to plug, but I'm not going to mention it now, but I'll mention it next month. And it's a free thing, so you don't have to give me any money for it. But it's not a book. But it is a free thing. So next month, that's that's a pretty big teaser. I bet everyone's excited. Okay, for now though, we're going to jump back into the Gilfaginning, or no, yes, the Gilfaginning. Um, we've still got a long way to go on this one. So to remind everybody about my approach to this, which I think I mentioned at the beginning of this series, but I want to mention again. We're reading the Gilfaginning because there's a lot of in- interesting information in there, but our goal is not to be an audiobook of the Gilfaginning because I'm sure you can find that somewhere else. Our goal is to read these um, stanzas and try to understand them a little better than we already do and try to help everybody else understand them or maybe inspire you to think about them more and we're also using them as a jumping off point for topics so this might sound rambly at times this series like we're getting off topic but that's actually by design i think something cool to do with the lore is you know read a little bit of it and then be like what does this make me think about what what trains of thought am i going to have what rabbit holes am i going to go down because i started reading this piece of lore i think that's a cool thing to do um but yeah i just want to tell everybody that before we start well we are just rambly by nature anyway so well that is true (laughs) not gonna argue with that 
Um, so without further ado, let's jump back in. I do believe we're on stanza 30. Or it's page, page 31? Uh, I believe it's stanza 31, so oh. X, 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 I. Stanza 31, X. I, I had, for some reason, looked up page 31. That's not right. Do you want to read stanza 31? Certainly. All right. Stanza 31. One is called Ullur, son of Sif, stepson of Thor. He is so excellent a bowman and so swift on snowshoes that none may contend with him. He is also fair of aspect and has the accomplishments of a warrior. It is well to call on him in single combats. There's not really a whole awful lot on Ullur. No, besides... this is about it, isn't it? Yeah, I don't know if there's another line somewhere else, maybe. But this this is kind of about it. So, I mean, Ullur is a god that I wish we knew more about. We know that he's, you know, son of Sif, stepson of Thor, an excellent bowman, you know, something to do with the winter and snowshoes. But yeah, we know very little, we know very little about Ullur. In my mind, I've always... Uh thought of him as I, he, we say god of but you know I, I don't exactly mean that but uh you might call upon him for uh journeys you would also do that yeah. with Odin, of course because he he travels a lot but mm -hmm. for, for whatever reason uller does that for me yeah yeah i think that's i think that's fair and you know snowshoes is very much a thing you take on journeys in certain certain sea certain um seasons yeah, I I wish there is more I wish there is more lore about him, but this is about all we have. I mean, we have uh I believe uh figures, little statues for Uller, at least yeah. in uh, archaeology, but yeah, not a lot of lore. Yeah, he'd definitely be an interesting one to spend uh more time with i mean he's the son of Sif, and Sif is obviously a really important goddess so he's he's definitely worth learning about but not a whole lot on him as far as the writing goes um i will read 32 for seti is the name of the son of balder and nana daughter of nep he has the hall in heaven which is called glitnir all that comes to him with such quarrels as arises out of lawsuits. All these return thence reconciled. That is the best seat of judgment amongst gods and men. Thus it is said here, A hall, a hall is called Glitnir, with gold tis pillared, and with silver thatched the same. Therefore said he bides the full day through, and puts to sleep all suits. Um, Forseti's a good one, and I think Forseti's a god that gets overlooked a lot, and I think the reason is it's easy to compare him to Tyr, because mm. Tyr is a god of justice, and Forseti is a god of justice, you're like, oh, well, you know, there, there's all these, there's a lot of lore about Tyr, there's a lot of stories about Tyr, Tyr is an extremely important god, and there's this tendency among some people to be like oh we've already got the justice god so if you understand here you don't really need forseti i i think is what some people think but it's very much not true first of all two gods can be got quote unquote gods of the same thing and both of them are still equally important also more importantly forseti is not the same type of justice that tier is 
here is more, I would say, like the warrior type of justice and fight for the right thing and stuff like that. Forseti is very much about settling disputes um, and, and settling them so both sides are fairly compensated and coming to the right conclusion, but especially like in a court of law. So it's it's the the kind of justice that comes from a good lawyer. I mean, if you want to think of Tyr as a god of justice, the profession that would go with that would be like soldier or police officer, in, mm-hmm. in my mind. Forseti would be the would be like a judge or I think even more appropriately, a lawyer who's arguing and trying to come to the right conclusion, but in that very like peaceful, fair non-violent way. So I think that was where Forseti is very much different from Tyr. And I think he's a really important god because ultimately we want to settle things peacefully as often as we can and within the court of law as often as we can. Obviously, there's situations where that doesn't work, which is why we have things like police officers. You know, there are violent criminals. Those need to be dealt with. But ultimately, we want to settle things in a court of law, and we really want everyone to be happy. We want both sides to feel like a fair judgment was reached. And that's what Forseti really exemplifies, is like that fair judgment being reached where both sides get what they deserve. Yep, and you took all the words out of my mouth. So apparently we have the same opinion about uh, Forseti. Okay. All right. Well, um, I guess I'll let you go on to 33. All right. The magic number. Uh, yeah, you listen to much radio. Anyway, I know. Uh, also numbered among the Aesir is he whom some call the mischief monger of the Aesir, and the first father of falsehoods and blemish of all gods and men. His name is Loki or Lopter, son of Farbuti the giant. His mother was Lofi or Nal. His brothers are Bailestir and Helblindi. Loki is beautiful and calmly to look upon, evil in spirit, very fickle in habit. He surpassed other men in that wisdom which is called slight, and had artifices for all occasions. He would even bring the Aesir into great hardships, and then get them out with crafty counsel. His wife is called Sigin, their son Nari or Nafi. Okay, so this is talking about Loki. Um... Yeah, he's he's a complicated character. Ultimately, I think he's an enemy of the gods now, so that's important to keep in mind. He's not um, on the same side of the Aesir now. And in the beginning, it was our, I think he was, um, and he does get them into a lot of trouble when you read the stories, but he also gets them in, out of a lot of trouble. Uh, the building of the wall is... A trouble that he didn't really get the gods into, but he got them out of. There's the thing where he cuts Sieve's hair, so he's getting the gods into trouble, getting into 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 me- causing mischief. But then he goes down to the dwarfs, and he ends up giving Thor um, Mjolnir his hammer, and uh, that is no. Well, and he's involved in that story. He's involved. And yes, he gets uh, because he had a bet. The with some dwarves he did get a bunch of gifts for all the gods but he was the antagonist to the hammer which is why it's such a short uh handled hammer 
I wouldn't, that, I would, I wouldn't that's give true. him the credit for that particularly. But then again, you know, he is the most chaotic character usually you can find in any kind of story or myth. Simply because while, yes, he can do good and yes, he can do bad, you just never know what he's going to do. He's not just a villain to be a villain. He's just causing and reaping chaos. He is, and you're right that he was the antagonist. It was the person he bet against who gave him and ultimately won the bat, that hammer. But I mean that his actions led to the hammer coming there. So good things came out of the bad thing that he did. I mean, do you want to do that? Because then you could say, oh, well, because of Hitler, we have, uh, 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 what's it called? The Council of Nations. I can't remember yeah. what they're what they're called anymore i don't know united nations you know that sort of stuff so hitler caused some good do you want to say that sort of stuff <clears throat> i suppose probably not it just it had to go to hitler didn't it well eventually everything does it does it does and so obviously went to it <laughs> obviously he was bad um he's hitler is more of a villain i think even than loki is because there was there were not really any redeeming qualities of that Obviously, person. Obviously, they're the same person. You knew that, right? Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> um, and, and Loki does end up becoming the enemy of the gods, and that has a lot with the slaying of Baldur and things like that. Maybe a better one would have been when Loki goes, he he gets those dwarfs to make... What's the stuff that he makes for the god? I didn't... <sighs> Was Gullen Bursty, did he get Gullen Bursty made for his side of the bat? Well, you know, he, think he just did. found some dwarves that wanted to fight each other and just... Yeah, exploited them. them. Yeah. He exploits situations a lot. That's what, that's something that, you know, he's good at. Um, the wall is something, when they were making the wall, a good thing that he got them out of. Uh, he had something to do with the rescuing of Iduna once um, that giant... Uh, that giant um, kidnapped her but that's another story he he caused her to be kidnapped in the first place and he he helped save her but he he caused milner to be taken but he also helped get it back get it back yes so he's getting the gods into trouble but then getting them out of trouble too so he starts out as like a hard to judge um a hard to judge entity it's like he's causing a lot of trouble but then he's he's making up for it too He's like begrudgingly taking responsibility. What we need really is his origin story of why the gods invited him in, you know, because he didn't start out as Azir, at least for all that we've been reading. He he just was, you know, this powerful being who was mischievous. And apparently Odin took a a liking to him and brought him in. Yeah. Because it's said in places that he's a blood brother of Odin, so they've, which is one of the reasons they couldn't just outright kill him when, you know, he turned against them or whatever. And yeah, so he's interesting. And I I think he started out very much, it would be like, well, he does good, he does bad. He's sort of a loose cannon, but we're not going to kick him out because he always kind of makes up for the things. But then with the slaying of Baldur, where he contrives a way to get Balder killed. I think that's when that was the step too far. Was it? Maybe he just wanted him to be wounded and say, hey, you're not all that strong. Come on. But he guided the blind guy and killed him. Yeah. Oops. 
Well, maybe. I don't know. I feel like he was kind of jealous of Baldwin and wanted him to actually be dead. Because if that was his intention, he would have cried like everybody else, and that would have let Balder come back from the dead. Are you sure? Because while his intentions may be for one thing, I don't think he is the type of being who would, you know, regret any action. (sighs) Yeah, that might be true. That might be true. Like, he wanted to just wound him, but then when he actually died, he's like, well, now I'm committed. Because he is a bit stubborn like that. Well, stubborn and has no guilty conscience whatsoever. That's true. He he doesn't. Has he ever, in any lore, ever professed any kind of guilty feelings? Because I don't recall any. No, he doesn't. And that's a good point. Like, when he cuts Steve's hair, for whatever reason, (laughs) and... Thor gets mad at him and threatens to kill him if he doesn't do something about it. And that's why he goes, that's ultimately why he goes to the dwarves mm-hmm. to get her golden hair back or to get, get her hair back, quote unquote. But he ends up getting like hair like spun from uh, gold that the dwarves made. But he does it under threat of being like killed by Thor. So, and most things that he does, he does because. Somebody's threatening to, like, you know, get some sort of vengeance on him or kill him or whatever if he doesn't do it. So it's, like, very practical reasons. Like, he doesn't have a choice except to undo the damage that he's caused. It's never like, oh, I feel real bad about what I did. I made the wrong choice. I'm going to make it better. That's never his reason. There's always something else where he's under some other threat. So he's like, well, I'll do the right thing not because it's the right thing but because it'll get me out of this bad place that i'm in well and also we have to think so these are stories told by our people and loki is kind of our enemy at this point and Mm -hmm. i think always kind of had been at least in the uh telling of the story so they're never going to probably give him the humanity uh in in such a way where he will feel guilty or have a conscience of any sort we don't have the inner dialogue for loki like we sometimes do with the other gods that's probably also true i mean i think that as far as mythological entities do go he's more gray than others um there's definitely a gray area but because he is the enemy of our gods now he may be less gray. He may be darker gray than maybe he was originally. Um, but that is something that I think makes him interesting. It's like, he, at the very least, we know that he didn't used to be an enemy of the gods. He lived with the gods. He, he traveled with Odin regularly. And Thor. <clears throat> and Thor. He wasn't a bad guy originally. Now he is a bad guy, which I think gives him and the gods in general a lot of depth they're not two-dimensional characters and these are the good ones and these are the bad ones because loki was very much started out kind of on the side of the gods kind of a good one and now for whatever reason he's you know kind of betrayed them and he's definitely a bad one now i mean it would never be appropriate to hail loki at a bloat Mm -hmm. now but before the slaying of Baldur, 
that was before, if that was in the lifetime of the human race, which who knows if it was, you could have argued like, well, he's done a lot of good things. He causes trouble, but he's done a lot of good things. He's just mischievous. But until he completely turned against the gods, it would have arguably been appropriate to, well, to hail him. But it's, it's not now. We kind of have then a missing... Uh, god or aspect to call upon who would be the clever one because like yes we have odin but it's you know more uh grim <laughs> his it is it or, is or we could have braggy who is a wizard with words mm -hmm. but you know is it clever it's just words not that that's terrible or anything but it's it's not kind of that beguiling yeah kind of aspect yeah you don't have a really good because you know a lot of different religions will have some sort of trickster god or goddesses like anansi mm -hmm. who you can call on in certain times when maybe that's appropriate we're we don't really have that one because i i don't think it'd ever be appropriate to call on loki um so you are sort of missing that archetype which isn't like one of the biggest archetypes in the world but it's still legitimately an archetype and oh, he was it's, it's huge it, the, it the is. mischief maker is in almost every you know pantheon religion out there it you, is what what i mean by it's not huge i guess is like <clears throat> the mischief the mischief maker is very rarely the head god for example uh, like it's the most well known i think in in most of the religions uh I, I think of the native americans and i think of of course like you were saying some of the african cultures like anansi yeah um i'm trying to think of uh indian right now and i'm drawing a blank so maybe they don't have one <clears throat> but the japanese certainly consistently have one but then again all things are gods right them. right uh yeah i mean it is <clears throat> it is a major archetype and i don't want to say it's not it's one that i myself have not found a need to draw on very often because that's not my personality i guess uh but well, it's true you know thinking of it again just a little bit more depth uh so who is the opposite, supposedly, at least uh, in fights and stuff, of Loki? Uh, Heimdall? Exactly. Now, what did Heimdall do that was kind of clever and weird? Don't know where you're going here. The Lay of Rig. Make so the classes of people? Is that clever? It is, and weird? because he used his... Uh, I guess, personality to uh, wheedle his way within these couples to make the classes by, I suppose, breeding with the yeah. wives. So I, that's not really something I think of about Heimdall a lot because it doesn't kind of mesh with that other part, which we've discussed previously. That, right, you yeah. Know, for other reasons, but like... I could see calling upon Heindel if that's the kind of aspect you might be looking at, because he's a teacher as well. Yeah, I just, maybe. that That's a good one to think about. I don't get the trickster nature. Uh, that's trickstery. Like, the husband's, I don't know, it never right out says that they 
he was given permission to do as he did. Right. Then again, if we look at the history and not just the lore, that uh, the the wives were somewhat expected to be with the traveler, I guess, Hmm. or the guest Hmm. at some point in time. This is this is very old history stuff. Okay. So I don't know. I don't know. This (sighs) is just random thoughts I'm having because when I think of. Loki, I also think of Heindel because there, there's this dichotomy between them. There's definitely a dichotomy. I definitely see that. But the trickster gods generally play pranks for no real good reason, like Loki cutting off Steve's hair. It was a really kind of big deal, but mm. his reason was just like, oh, this will be funny. And most of the trickster gods and goddesses do things like play pranks. Whereas I feel like the Lay of Reg had that Odinistic quality where there mm-hmm. was a greater good. He did it for a reason and well, a good we, reason. We think he did. We Maybe think. he just happened to do it. And he's like, yeah, I totally did it on purpose. Maybe I, it doesn't <laughs> give me the it. It feels like it was intentional. I know. And not a random prank, which is why I'm not sure if that works. But that's definitely something worth thinking about. Well, it, it all comes back to the other thing I was saying earlier, where, okay, so Loki's the enemy of the gods, so our stories are going to show him in the least favorable light. Right. But <clears throat> also, the gods that uh, we have in our pantheon, uh, we're going to show them in our the best light. So everything yeah. they do is on purpose, and they're not just making mischief. Okay, okay. I mean, I see where you're coming from. I don't, I can't agree with that. I know. Uh, But it would be interesting to think, like, is there another mischief god? Could we find a mischief god in our pantheon? And I guess Heimdall's a natural first place to look because he is always the opposite of Loki. I mean, it's him and Loki that fight in Ragnarok, so that would be a good place to start. I don't think he fits the role, and I can't think of another god that does fit that trickster god role. I mean, the only other thing I can think of is maybe some of the kids, the younger gods, simply because youthfulness is a lot of the has that uh, juvenile nature to them. But yeah. then again, we don't have a huge amount of stories related to them specifically either. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, it's interesting, because if you were in a place, for whatever reason, you wanted to call on that trickster god aspect, which is, I think, sometimes very much appropriate, who who would you choose? Because Loki is out of the running, because he's an enemy of the gods now. But, like, who would you turn to? I don't know. I mean, that's a... I mean, because sometimes you're like, God. the the, uh, the intelligent, logical thing to do is not going to help you through. So you need a bit right. of that chaos. And who do we got? I mean, the next best bet would be maybe Thor, since he is half uh, Jotun. Right, yeah. But he's not, like, he has done clever things, but you don't think of him doing that. You think of him not as really. you know, being bullheaded and fighting through it. Right, the first right. step. Yeah, you do. I mean, the, yeah, there's that fun story where he tricks the dwarf who wants to marry his daughter into staying out all day, all night rather, and the sun comes up and he, he turns into stone, which is sort of a playful trickfulness. That's Alvis. Alvis, thank you. 
But even that's not quite the same thing as just playing a prank for the sake of playing a prank. Nobody plays a prank for the sake of playing a prank, except for Odin. There is that random conversation he had with Thor. Um, what was, do you remember? I can't mm-hmm. remember the name of that story. But he is basically on the other side of the river, and he's pretending to be a fairy. Yeah. And Thor asked to be ther- ferried across, and he just, like, <laughs> makes fun of and insults him the whole time for some reason. And that that's sort of that playful prankster well, nature. You could say expressed. that, but because it's Odin, I think he's maybe trying to teach Thor a lesson of some sort. That well, maybe that could be too. People suck sometimes, and you yeah. need to know it. <laughs> yeah, that could definitely be too. And ultimately, if you said, "Is Odin a trickster god?" the answer is no. He's a god of knowledge. It's a different. I mean, he does play. Thing tricks and is clever about certain things but it's always to a goal it's not chaotic right right and i think that's the big difference it's not chaotic so i feel like there's not really a great like example of a pure trickster god that you could appropriately call on so that's tricky i don't know we'll have to think about it if you think of any ideas let me know but i don't i don't think there really is one yeah, that's unfortunate, and yeah. we got a lot of lore for Loki. Yeah, we he's, do. Oh, he's always there. It's it's Thor, Loki, and Odin for the most part. Yeah, yeah, those are definitely the ones that do the at, at least do the most traveling. Mm-hmm. Um, Which would make sense why we have the mo- most stories about them then, right? Because they're out, they're doing things. You don't necessarily write stories about. A regular day. You well, know, if you watch the news, you're not going to see, oh, and a man had a regular day where nothing nothing occurred. <laughs> well, I mean, and it's so interesting. So, like, we have Odin, and his wife plays a huge role um, in, in, in the stories, too, because, you mm-hmm. know, he's the main character. Well, they're all main characters, but whatever. Right. But, like, Sif, we've at least had a story with her, you know? You're right. I mean, it's a Loki story, but she shows yeah. up elsewhere. But Loki's wife generally doesn't show up a whole bunch yeah. about anything except for being there to, you know, take the cup and dump the poison that is dripping into Loki's face as he's Right, down. right. That's like pretty much her only mention. So, Sigyn, what do we know about her? Yeah, not uh, much. Not much. Not huge. Which, yeah, no. No, we don't really know much about her or origin or anything else. <clears throat> Excuse me. Yeah, Loki's a definitely a tricky one because we have so much lore about him. Um, and he's such that, like, he is definitely the trickster god. Mm-hmm. And I feel like in, in a lot of places and a lot of ways, that's a, that can be a positive archetype. But I, I guess that's where we realize that the gods are not just archetypes. Because he is the trickster god archetype, which makes him which would be positive, but he's an individual too, and he betrayed the gods, and that made him negative. Well, and that made him someone we don't want to work with. And now I have a weird thought. So let mm-hmm. me see if I can get some feedback from you on this, because I'm just thinking about it. So in you know, our northern people, we had a trickster god, but now he's relegated to being the enemy. Whereas other cultures have a trickster god, and it's an important one, and you fear them, and you kind of uh, like them, too, at the same time. Yeah. But 
up here in our northern god system, we don't have that. And maybe it had something that affected our society and why we don't happen to have that kind of uh, trickstery aspect, per se, as maybe other cultures do. If That's that interesting. No, it does. Um, it could be. Because the Norse people are thought of as being fairly straightforward, at least in my mind, where they're right. not necessarily trying to trick you. Yeah, they're going to try to get the best deal because they're not unintelligent. You know, call upon Odin and get right. in there and do a good deal, but we're not trying to do harm necessarily just to get what we want. We're just trying to get what we want. I wonder how much it did affect, like, the talk culture that came after it, not having that trickster god as somebody you could really call on, kind of making the idea of being a trickster more negative than in maybe other cultures. Mm-hmm. Ah, just, thought, just throwing it out there. It's a good... I, I think it's a good thought. And I, and I think that, yeah, a lot of the people seem to be very serious and i yeah so i don't know i don't know how much it relates but certainly it has to um and we also lost yeah. our uh, shining bright loving wonderful yeah, that god too. so that dual nature of it being pulled out so eh, maybe a little grim we can have fun but we're a little grim right i mean we still have balder or er, not balder sorry braggy so we do yeah we can have some fun but yeah yeah, there's a lot of yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of grimness. You know, you have you don't have the most beautiful of gods, the bright shining god, because Balder was killed. And then you don't have the lighthearted trickster either, because Loki's chained to the center of the world. So it's like mm, <laughs> two of the most like fun, lighthearted aspects of the religion are sort of missing. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it does seem like it would make braggy. us serious. We do still have Braggy. You know, that's that's how we survived. We it's, survived by yes. drinking and, and telling yeah. stories. And telling stories, right. Um, yeah, that's interesting. And I, I wonder what that leads to. Does it lead... Or I... Uh, let's not say I wonder what that does lead to. I wonder what that should lead to, if we can take that and, and internalize that. Do we say we don't have those aspects to call upon, so we just do without them and we become a grim people? Or do we say, since those two aspects are missing as gods to call upon, it's a personal challenge to us to bring them out more within ourselves, well, to be the bright, shining person and to be the comedian or the trickster. Well, see, I, I see it more of a... Uh, they're looked down upon because they're gone. Like, n- light and happiness not looked down upon because everyone still liked and likes Boulder. Yeah, yes. That clever, <clears throat> mischievous nature, we don't look fondly upon that. You know, usually. <clears throat> yeah, it's true. And I don't. While I think we all still have that aspect within us. We kind of want to push that aside because we see yeah. it as negative. Because of the stories that we have, uh, that guy's not the greatest guy, and now it's our enemy. So maybe that's not a good aspect of ourselves to, you know, grow within us. Right. Right. You definitely have a negative view 
in our society, which which is of course a combination of many societies, not just Norse. But like if you look at the Joker, for example, from Batman, he's very much that trickster archetype, and he's really looked down upon. That's a really negative thing there. They've pulled the worst out of that trickster archetype and left none of the good in it. And, you know, Joker is without question the bad guy. Whereas I wonder if that character, for example, would have been different if he was born in a different culture. Would he have been more, would we have been more sympathetic to a trickster character if we weren't steeped in a culture where the trickster character that we knew ended up being somebody who betrayed us? Um, yeah, and a lot of other things. Comedians are not normally looked on with high regard. They're not like, oh, you're a comedian, you're doing you're doing good work. It's it's um, something that a lot of people, anyway, look down upon. So I don't know how much of that comes from the fact that our trickster god ended up being a betrayer. But certainly it has to be connected, right? You think? Yes. So I guess we should probably move on because yes. we're still going to be talking about Loki and, or at least his children in the next uh, <coughs> uh, stanza. <laughs> okay, stands, I guess. So what is that? 33, Four. 34. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, yet, yet, more chil- uh, yet more children had Loki. Angra- uh, Angrabada was the name of a certain giantess in Jotunheim, with whom Loki got three children. One was Fenris Wolf, the second Jormungandr, that is the Midgard serpent. The third is Hell. But when the gods learned that this kindred was nourished in Jotunheim, and when the gods perceived by prophecy that from this kindred great misfortune should befall them, and since it seemed to all that there was great prospect of ill, first from the mother blood, first first from the mother's blood, and yet worse from the father's, then all fathers sent gods thither to take the children and bring them to him. When they came to him, straight away he cast a serpent into the deep sea, where he lies about all the lands. And this serpent grew so greatly that he lies in the midst of the ocean, encompassing all the land, and bites upon his own tail. Hell he cast into Niflheim, and gave to her power over nine worlds, to apportion all abodes amongst those that were sent to her, that is, men dead of sickness or of old age. She has great possession there. Her walls are exceedingly high, and her gates great. Her hall is called sleet cold, her dish hunger, famine is her knife, idle her thrall, sloven her maidservant, pit of stumbling her threshold, by which one enters, disease her bed, gleaming bale her bed hangings. She is half blue black and half flesh colored, by which she is easily recognized, and very and very lowering and lowering and fierce. Alright. Okay, because this is very long, so we'll break yes. this one up. I, I did want to point out that the part of the reason that they were not fond of these children is because they were raised in Jotunheim. Besides yes. the fact that, you know, two uh, Yotans, one being a former supposedly, and the other being just normal, we were mm. likely to have some great misfortune also being a prophecy about that. So had they been brought to as, as, ugh, sorry, the Aesir earlier on, maybe not such <clears throat> bad things. Right. 
yeah. teaching them right from wrong. So maybe not everyone's born bad, but your environment can cause you to be worse than you would be otherwise. Well, yeah, and I think that's true. They talk about the, what is it, diathesis stress model with schizophrenia in particular, that there is a genetic component of it. Um, but also your environment has to be right. You need to have both the thing. So they already have the negative lineage of their mother and father. And then you pair that with them being raised in Jotunheim, that negative environment is then something is the reason that they're probably going to turn out bad, so to speak. Well, I like the fact that they even mentioned that. It, it's just <clears> one <throat> line. It's there. And, well, and I, yes, I like that too, because um, I think having the nurture side of things, and I mean, this isn't a psychological debate, and I guess we shouldn't really be using psychology, but to have the idea that where you're raised and what you're exposed to changes your fate and your destiny is something that I, I like to be there. It moves to some small degree away from predetermined predetermination where everything is just you are you are this way and you will always be this way and nothing you will ever do will change it there's some amount of or at least at the very least your environment has something to do with that and that goes uh in opposition a bit to the lay of rig then because it's there for the genetics of heimdall brought forth the changes within people to have different classes yeah but then again, he comes later and uh, teaches one of the, I think it was a grandson of his. Yeah. Who took the name Rig as well, or Rigger, maybe. And, uh, yeah, <clears throat> that, was, that was some uh, uh, nurture in that point. So, I don't know. It, right. it, it's, it's, it's strange, because they kind of want to have both ways, which it is, according to the psychology that we have now. It's nurture and nature. But... yeah. In some stories, it seems like they want to say nature is first. In some stories, they want to say nurture is more important. Yeah, I think it's hard to tell. And I think it depends on the story and the circumstances and all sorts of other things. Um, I do think that both are really important. And then there's a third component of free will. Mm. So first, you have the nature-nurture debate. And then you have the debate of how much does free will fed into it because if we look at loki again since we're kind of talking about him he spent most of his time at least in asgard like the rest of the gods did but he kind of made some bad decisions it wasn't just nature and it wasn't just nurture he sort of had a role in that himself with the decisions that he made but what were those formative years like for loki let's write a story um, that borders on sacrilegious, but I don't know. Um, it's an interesting thing to think about, for sure, though. What were the formative years of Loki? What were the formative years of any of the gods, really? True, true. I mean, we start reading about them when they're quote-unquote grown up, and I, I understand that gods and people are not quite the same, but there's still formative years for all of them. And but when we start like like Odin, part of his quote unquote formative years would be when he hung on the world tree for nine days and nine nights. But the story kind of starts there. It's like I hung on the tree for nine days and nine nights. That's where we're going to beginning. 
there's there's even further backstory to him, but you don't get a lot of story. Right. It's mostly just uh, set pieces. Like here he is. There's there's your mirror, and here we are. Right. But you don't really see his nature. You don't get a good um, understanding of Odin's nature or what it was like before that whole sacrifice himself to himself thing, which is sort of like the accumulation of everything that he's been up till then. Mm -hmm. Um, It would be interesting to have more of those stories. I think Odin would be really interesting. I think Thor would be really interesting too, because there's that giant Asgard or giant Aesir nature that he has. He kind of has both sides, if you will. Mm -hmm. Um, And to see like how that played out would definitely be interesting. Um, But, you know, that was probably around before people were. So unfortunately, there's not like a whole bunch of lore about it. Yeah. All right. So I guess I'll continue here. Okay. The wolf of Azir brought up at home, and Tyr alone dared go to him to give him meat. But when the gods saw how much he grew every day, and when all prophecies declared that he was fated to be their destruction, again, we're talking about, hey, we tried to bring him in, but here we are, then the Azir seized upon this way of escape. They made a very strong fetter, which they called Lednir, and brought it before the wolf, binding him, try bidding him to try his strength against the fetter. The wolf thought that no overwhelming odds and uh, let them do with him as they would. The first time the wolf lashed out against it, the fetter broke, so he was loosed out of Lidnir. After this, the Aesir made a second fetter stronger by half, which was called Dromi, and bade the wolf try that fetter, saying he would become very famous for strength if such huge workmanship should not suffice to hold him. But the wolf thought that this fetter was very strong. He considered also that strength had increased in him since the time he broke Ligner. It came to into his mind that he must expose himself to danger if he would become famous. So he let the fetters be laid upon him. Now, when the Aesir declared themselves ready, the wolf shook himself, dashed the fetters against the earth, and struggled fiercely with it, uh, spurned against it, and broke the fetter, so that the fragments flew far apart. So he dashed himself out of Dromi. Since then, it passes as a proverb to loose out of Legner or to dash out of Dromi when anything is exceedingly hard. Uh, shall I continue then? Um... Because, I mean, we are going yes. to the thing. All right, so after that, the Aesir fettered or feared that they should never be able to get the wolf bound. Then Allfather sent him, who is called Skinner, Freyr's, Freyr's messenger, down into the region of the Black Elves to certain dwarves, which, by the way, Black Elves and dwarves, same thing usually, and caused to be made the fetter named Glepnir. It was made of six strings, the noise a cat makes in footfall, the beard of a woman, the roots of a rock, the sinew of a bear, the breath of a fish, and the spittle of a bird. And though thou understand not these matters already, yet now thou mayest speedily find certain proof therein, that no lie is told thee. Thou must have seen that a woman has no beard, and no sound comes from the leap of a cat, and there are no roots under a rock, and by my troth. All that I have told thee is equal true, though there be some things which thou canst not put to the test. <laughs> yeah, I've seen some bearded ladies. Well, the rest of them are right. 
hey, uh, a rock may have roots, but it is not roots of a plant. It is roots of a rock. You might be overanalyzing the analogy I, there. Fish do breathe, but it is with water. And birds uh, have spit. Hey, I don't actually know. And sinews of a bear, that's okay. Did, I have do, no do idea what that is. Have sinew? I, I guess. I thought it was car- like, co- uh, connective tissue right, tendons. I don't, I don't know. Sorry. I don't know. <laughs> I think that's a fun a fun way of proving yourself, though. Mm-hmm. Kind of funny. It's like, oh, we use the beards of women. And look, no women have beards. Um, I, I feel like that was... Not supposed to be like actual proof. It was just a fun storytelling mechanism mm-hmm. there. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, the story's not done though yet, is it? Uh, no. This one goes on for the rest of it, and it's this does it. It's okay. pretty big. <clears throat> okay. Um, this is a really good story because it's talking about the binding of Fenris and Tyr and how he lost his hand. And everything else. Um, so I don't know how much we want to stop and talk about it as we go versus wait till the end. So if you want me to take over at any point, just let me know. And if you have anything you want to say at any point, you know, just say it. But I'm probably going to hold most of my comments until we're done with the story. Okay, go ahead then. Okay. Um, uh, okay. After that, wait, which one were we on? Uh, we uh, are down here where I believe it says, Then said Ganglary, this certainly okay. I can perceive. Right. Then said Ganglary, this, cer- this certainly I can perceive to be true. These things which thou hast taken for pr- proof, I can see, but how was the fetter fashioned? Har answered, Then I am well able to tell thee. The fetter was soft and smooth as a silken ribbon, but as sure and strong as thou shalt now hear. Then when the feather was brought to the Aesir, they thanked the messenger well for his errand. Then the Aesir went out upon the lake called Asmavartner, to the island called Lingvi, and summoned the wolf with them. They showed him the silk ribbon and bade him burst it, saying that it was somewhat stouter than it appeared from its thickness. And each passed it to the other and tested it with the strength of their hands, and it did not stop. Yet they said the wolf could break it. Then the wolf answered, Touching this matters of the ribbon, it seems to me that I shall get no glory of it, though I snap asunder so slender a band. But if it be made with cunning and wiles, then thou it will seem little, that band shall never come upon my feet." Then the Aesir answered that he could easily snap apart a slight silken band, and who had before broken great fetters of of iron. But if thou shalt not be able to burst this band, then thou wilt not be able to frighten the gods, and then we shall unloose thee. The wolf said, If ye bind me so that I shall not get free again, then ye will act in such a way that... It will be late ere I receive help from you. I am unwilling that this ban should be laid upon me. Yet rather than that ye should impung my courage, let some one of you lay his hand in my mouth, for a pledge that is done in good faith. Each of the Aesir looked at his neighbor, and none was willing to part with his hand, until Tyr stretched out his right hand and laid it in the wolf's mouth. 
But when the wolf lashed out, the fetter became harder, and the more he struggled against it, the tighter the band was. Then all laughed except here, he lost his hand. All right, I'm going to stop here for just a second. Um, this is a story that I really like about Tyr because it's just showing that, like, he's willing to make the sacrifice. When really, obviously nobody wants to, but no one else was willing to, and Tyr stepped up. And I also like that he put his right hand in the wolf's mouth. Right hand, generally speaking, being the hand that you would have your sword in. So he could have done something less obvious and a little underhanded by using his left hand since the wolf didn't specify which one but he didn't because he understood like this is the sacrifice i'm expected to make so he used his right hand so i'll just mention that even further wouldn't it have been nice to have a trickster god on your side in this case <laughs> yeah they're just very <clears throat> poorly selling this ribbon <laughs> Yeah, they really are. Well, but yeah, that's the problem. It's literally the son of the trickster god. So you're yep. not going to get him to your cause this time. You know, a lot of times they can get Loki on their side, especially before the betrayal, which this was. But um, not when it's his son. I mean, there's no way that you're going to get him to participate because they're not selling the ribbon well at all. It is, yeah, they're they're not, and I feel like Loki probably could, but yeah, he's not going to be involved in this one because, yeah, his son, obviously. Mm -hmm. uh, let me finish this. When the when the Azir saw that the wolf was fully bound, they took the chain that was that was fast to the fetter, and which is called gelja and passed it through a great rock it is called gyol and fixed the rock deep down into the earth then they took a great stone and drove it yet deeper into the earth it was called thviti and used a stone for a fastening pen the wolf gaped terribly and thrashed about and strove to bite them they thrust into his mouth a certain sword the guards caught in his lower jaw and the point in the upper that is his gag he howls hideously and slaver runs out of his mouth that is the river called von there he lies till the weird of the gods then said ganglare marvelous marvelous ill children did loki beget but all these brethren are of great might yet why did not the aesir kill the wolf seeing that they had expect expectation of evil to him Har answered, So greatly did the gods esteem their holy place and sanctuary that they would not stain it with the wolf's blood, though so say the prophecies, he shall be the slayer of Odin. Interesting. It is. Well, um, you know, what did they do except be evil and prophesize to do, uh, well, prophesize to be evil and do bad things had they done evil yet? They were just strong. It's interesting. I think there's, there are two ways you can look at it. One is, did they not want to kill him because he was prophesied to do evil yet, but hadn't yet? With this minority report type of idea. You know, anybody who didn't grow up in the 90s will not understand any of my references. <laughs> um, but the idea that he hadn't done the wrong thing yet, he was going to, they were trying to stop him, but he hadn't done the wrong thing yet, so they couldn't kill him. But there's also this idea that you cannot kill in sacred lands, which I think was big to our ancestors, the idea of the sacred lands or the sacred groves or the temple. You can't 
kill people there. You can't uh, kill people in a sacred place. Well, that must have gone away after a while, because they did used to sacrifice men in, uh, on trees, hanging them like they do to, like Odin hung himself. Well, first of all, that did come later. There's not human sacrifice in the lore. Second, that was a mistake. Human sacrifice <laughs> is bad. And third, it's a little different. You're sacrificing someone. You're not killing them because they might be a problem. Uh, I, I don't know the whole history of human sacrifice. It happened, definitely. It became a thing. I don't think it was good that it became a thing. A lot of cultures had a period of human sacrifice, and I never think it was a good idea. Um, but yeah, well, the other that's thing a I, point. But you, but you wouldn't do it in Asgard. You wouldn't mm, kill in Asgard. Well, the other thing I'd like to uh, point out is, how do we know that while this is prophesied, uh, that the prophecy is the cause of the greater strife in the future? Did they ever think about that? Well, it's true. The whole idea of a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, they're trying to, like, bind the children of Loki, and maybe that's what makes them mad and rise up against them in the end. Mm -hmm. That's true. Prophecy's weird. Um, <sighs> fate, by its nature, is sort of weird. Like, is fate a thing? How much is fate a thing? I, I feel it's, like... It's a thing if you believe in it. <laughs> I feel like there's certain things that are fated to happen. Like, you're going to die eventually. That's probably you. fated. Nah, I don't think any of us are going to live forever. I hope I'm wrong, but... Uh, I Do only you? kind of... Not really. Yeah. Um, I think we're all, we all have the fate, quote-unquote, that we're going to die. But, you know, the time could be different. I don't think, like... I'm going to die at 3.42 on a Tuesday. I don't think it's that fated. There's, there's certain eventualities of nature. The universe is fated to die eventually with a big freeze. I think that's what we think now. You know, eventually, after so much time, everything's going to just stop moving and it'll be impossible for life to continue. That might be a fated thing, but the exact nature of when that happens... Uh, is influenceable and you know you as a person maybe you're fated to die but you're not um you're not oh you're fated to die but you're not necessarily fated to die in a certain way or at a certain time but yeah fate's confusing um i guess we're getting close to the end here aren't we yes sir Let's see. Let's see what stanza we are on. Thirty-five. And okay, it's so a pretty big one. This starts. Well, maybe it's not. It's his decent starts, size. This starts talking about what Freg it looks like. Mm -hmm. Um, this is a good stopping place because we've sort of gone through the stuff about Loki and his children and stuff like that. So I think we're gonna go ahead and wrap it up here before we move on did you have anything not closing thoughts because we'll do those last but did you have anything else to say about fate and loki and all that stuff um no i think we've covered a lot of my thoughts of it and otherwise i can't think of anything else <laughs> okay cool well we still have a long time to go on the gelf again so this story is going to 
last us a while longer still, especially because we keep going on these side tangents. But I like these side tangents, so um, I, I think I'm not going to stop them. Yeah, yeah, we're about halfway through. Yeah, but how many how many months has it taken us to get halfway through? Oh, I don't know, plenty. It's been a while. We still may or may not take a break from this eventually and just do like a off-topic thing, just to you know break up what we're covering but i haven't decided yet i really like the gilfaginning and the conversation that it mm -hmm. sort of sparks so i'm not in a hurry to jump off of it and do something else but you know just mentioning it um so let's go ahead and wrap up with final thoughts any final thoughts well we covered a lot of loki ground today which uh the previous time we covered a few other gods too so I, I think it's interesting to delve into what our people consider bad not just you know good and what the gods are and I, I think we kind of brought up some interesting thoughts that could be meditated upon such as uh, do our people not like the cunning people in stories like other cultures might and uh, what that may have uh, done to society or you know how our storytelling of our enemy may have influenced who they actually were in uh, previous iterations of storytelling eh, just thoughts yeah i think we brought up a lot of there's a lot of interesting things to think about this uh, loki is definitely a very interesting character because he changes a lot starting as a friend of the gods sort of uh, probably and then moving to somebody far lot far more negative uh but yeah i do wonder how much that affects culture and society for our people that's a good question i don't know i i think it's something interesting to think about uh, but yeah, I think there's a lot of interesting stuff, and I would again suggest everybody read The Gilfaginning on your own. I have been putting a link in the show notes to the Sacred Text site. That's the one we're reading because I've actually ended up liking to read the same text that Steve is reading just because it's easier to read along. And I like using the sacred text one because anybody can go there and read it for free, which is sort of nice. I don't have to say, spend $15 on a book. I can just say, go to this website. It's totally free and it's good information. So there is a link to this um, in the show notes. If in the future you want to read along, you can go to that link and you can actually, that's why we mentioned what stanza we're on. You can read along. So I think that'd be good. Uh, but yeah, I suggest everybody read The Gilfaginning. It's good. And I think that's it. So yeah, we're going to go ahead and wrap up. I would like to remind everybody, check out Steve's book if you haven't already. Steve, did you want to say anything to that? Uh, hey, I hope you enjoyed my books. Read them. <laughs> okay. Amazon.com, the shows are, or the links are in the show notes. Steve's Twitter account is in the show notes because I haven't been on Twitter or Facebook for a year because I'm really bad about that stuff. Um, I'm yeah. just lazy. But you can follow him there. You can find my book there. You can find our my email on the website. Uh, yeah. So if you want to get in, if you want to get in contact with us, definitely send me an email. Huganhoffpodcast uh, at gmail.com. Look through the show notes for other ways to contact us and the other stuff that we're doing on the side. Uh, oh, and 
subscribe to the RSS feed. We are still doing a monthly podcast. I still have kids and I'm not going to be able to do it more than once a month. So it's really easy to forget to download the podcast. But if you sign up to the RSS, put in your podcast player of choice, then it will just come automatically every month and you can listen to it. So thank you everyone for listening. I do hope you enjoyed the show and we'll be back next month. All right. Thank you everyone. Frahel. Rahel. Rahel.